Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14, with Pastor John King. One another. Greetings one another. That is weird. Sorry. Greetings everybody. Thank you for making, help me calm down, okay? I'm a little nervous today. Uh, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, which we started last week. We'll be in verses 7 through 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 14. You know, our Christian walk reflects the changes that His grace has enabled. Not only are we to walk with renewed thinking in Christ, but we're also to walk it out in love. How do we do that? We learned that last week. By learning how to be imitators of God, learning how to mimic God, our Father. We do this uh, by being kind and tender and forgiving and with fatherly love in many aspects. We also imitate God by walking in the ways of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And we know that is a love of uh, a walk in love. It's a love, a walk in humility and sacrifice. Now this week, we're going to continue to learn how to walk, and I'm going to, I'm going to continue to learn how to talk. Uh, by understanding who or whose we are. We are children of light. Children of light. Now, how are we light? Well, first of all, because Jesus is the light and we are in him. In John chapter 7 and 8, there's an, an event recorded that explains how Jesus left Galilee after his unbelieving brothers challenged him to go down to Jerusalem during the great Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus had already gained notoriety and the Jews sought to kill him. And so he came not openly, but he came in secret. But by the middle of the feast, he was teaching daily at the temple. And at the end of the feast, there was a nighttime ceremony known as the illumination of the temple. Four enormous lampstands were set up in the temple where they glowed each evening of the feast. To trim their wicks and replenish their oil, young men, and it had to be young men, <coughs> excuse me, of priestly lineage climbed to a height of 75 feet. These grand candelabras stood in the temple's court of the women where the treasury was. It was said that their lights were so bright that they illuminated the courts of Jerusalem. Armed with flaming torches, men whirled and danced beneath their glow to the music of harps, lyras, cymbals, and trumpets. This celebration was in remembrance of the pillar of fire, the glorious cloud of God's presence during the sojourn in the wilderness. Now the very next morning, Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives and came into the temple to teach. And while he was teaching, of course, there was an interruption. You heard of this one. He was confronted by the scribes and Pharisees who brought before him the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, an offense that called for stoning. This familiar story ended when the accusers were challenged by Jesus. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. When all the accusers were driven back by the conviction of their conscience, Jesus sent the accused women away with a warning to sin no more. And so most of us are familiar with all of those events, uh, but you know, we tend to overlook the final verse in that chapter. In John 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus then spoke to them again. He returned to his teaching and he spoke to them again. 
And he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, they didn't need the giant lampstands to recall God's past presence. He stood before them. So with that in mind, let's read our passage for today. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. And therefore he says, Awaken you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time again this morning as you continue to move among us, move in our hearts, Lord God. Clear our minds of all the concerns we might have of the week and the coming events. And Lord, we, just, we do want to focus on you. It's, it's hard for us, Lord. You know that we often struggle to find the Christ in Christmas. But Lord, we're, we're coming up on that day. And, and Lord, we, we're learning through this time, this reminder of this great coming, your first coming, that you are the light of the world. And today we're going to learn that we are also light. We were once in darkness, but we were also light in you. And so, Lord, would you guide us this morning? Would you speak to our hearts? We pray this now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So we start out where we're being called to walk in truth and holiness as children of the light. And don't partner with the evil works of darkness, which many of us may have come from, which many of the Ephesians actually came from. We saw in verse 7 last week, is kind of an overlap, do not be partakers. And we were reminded that their culture, much like our culture, was steeped in very dark and idolatrous things. Uh, recently we had our, the highest, you know, at, at our, the White House in the United States of America, dozens and dozens and dozens of um, drag queens were invited to celebrate the passage of a bill, a recent bill. And so it's not hard to imagine any more just the type of darkness that the world was in during the time that Paul wrote this letter. He says, do not be partakers with them. In other words, not to sign up or join in their sinful practices. Now Paul made note back in verse 6, if you see in your text, that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And this is because their choice is to live lifestyles of persistent sin. They had made a choice to do that. And the wrath of God refers to God's righteous judgment upon those who oppose God and reject his offer of salvation through Christ. As Christians, we are not to become partners with those characterized by disobedience to God. The obvious reason, of course, is that our Heavenly Father forbids it but also as a reminder that God has transformed us. Notice in verse 8, you were once darkness. 
This symbolizes the realm, darkness, dominated by sin and death. You were once, meaning formerly or in the past. Darkness here is used as what's known as a metonym, a metonym, which is the exact statement or description of the nature, scope, or meaning of something. And notice he says, you were once darkness. That was your, that's what you were. You were in, in, covered it. You were in the darkness of sin. You were in the darkness of ignorance and the darkness of unbelief. Prior to becoming a Christian, you and I actually embodied darkness. We may have looked good on the outside. We may have had good works. We may have been nice people. But really and truly, in a spiritual sense, we embodied darkness. The New Living Translation says, For you were once full of darkness. And you didn't have to go to the extreme depravity that they were in in their culture or in today's culture. Many believe that this word, the way it's being used, is actually stronger than walking in darkness. You know, something that a Christian can actually do, can walk in darkness if you live a carnal Christian life. 1 John 1, 5 and 7, it says, This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And this can be true of a believer. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But a person who does not know God is wrapped up in darkness. He doesn't really know where he has come from. You know, we have all the speculations, we have all the philosophies, we have all the explanations of where man came from. Apart from the Bible, he's not really sure. He doesn't know exactly why he even exists, apart from the daily grind of providing or doing whatever he does each and every day. And he doesn't know where he's going after death. That's what it's like to be in the darkness. You may recall what it was like. And if that's describing you and you're not sure of where you came from and you're not sure of why you exist on the earth and you certainly have no idea where you're going after life, well, the answer is in Jesus Christ. The answer is for you to receive him as your Lord and Savior, to accept the sacrifice that he's given, to repent of your sins and come to him and ask for his forgiveness and ask for him to come into your life, and he will. Now, speaking to the church, he says, but now you are light in the Lord. That's the description as a Christian. You are light in the Lord. He's declaring the result of your transformation when you became a Christian. See, we don't know truly who we are. As our salvation unfolds and as we continue to walk in the Lord, he reveals more and more who we truly are as we take in his word. And he says, you are now light in the Lord. Light, the word again, and when he says light in the word, we're using that word as a metonym, which is an exact statement or description of the nature, scope, or meaning of something. You and I, as Christians, are light. This describes a person whose wisdom and spiritual purity shines forth and who imparts the, the same to others. We talked about coarse jesting last week and foolish talking, and we spend, I spend way too much time doing that. 
Not, the, no, not so much the coarse jesting, I should hope. But the foolish talking, when we should use our words to build one another up and to bring light. We are light in the Lord. He is the light of the world. One writer put it this way, and it really, you know, we, we stumble because we live in this fleshly body. Okay, we are not perfect in these ways. We are made perfect in Christ, and someday we're going to have perfect bodies and a perfect existence. So when you think about the light that we want, we desire to shine in this world, let's be encouraged by how the light will shine in the future. One writer put it this way, so authentic is our participation, so real is our light that in eternity we will actually be part of the light ourselves. Jesus' parable of the tares ends poorly for those under judgment. But for us, things look much brighter, no pun intended. Matthew 13, 43, he declared, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun, where? In the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Ears to hear, let him hear. C.S. Lewis describes that you and I, when we're in heaven, we will share in the glory of the Father. We don't share in his glory now. He, he gets all the glory. But when we enter into the heavenly realm, we will share to some degree the glory of the Father in Christ. And notice, we will be more glorious than the heavens themselves. And C.S. Lewis explained it this way. Nature is mortal, we shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol. We are summoned to pass through nature beyond her to the splendor which she fitfully reflects. So now, Paul says, understanding your past in humility... Trusting in what he's done presently, we walk forward. How do we do that? We walk as children of the light or children of light. We walk. A walk is to regulate your life. It's to conduct yourself as someone with a right relationship with God. So as children of light, you and I need to be who we already are. Again, we're discovering who we already are as we grow in Christ. By God's enabling grace. Believers are called, in another passage, Luke 16, 8, called sons of light. Not merely because we've received a revelation from God, but because in the new birth, we have received the spiritual capacity for it. Jesus said it perfectly in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Next, while you're walking and while you're shining for Jesus and growing in the Lord, you need to look for the fruit. You need to look for the fruit in your life. Why? Because it confirms who you belong to. 
Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is a sort of an abbreviated, a shortened description of our familiar verse, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against, against such, there is no law. That's a memory verse for many of us. But fruit of the Spirit. Now, neither, or excuse me, most all of your newer versions of the Bible, if you don't have a, uh, if you're not reading from a King James or a New King James, it refers to the fruit of the Spirit, actually the fruit of the light. The fruit of the light. And it says the fruit of the Spirit is in all. In other words, it consists of. These three things, goodness, you know, it's similar to kindness. Goodness is uprightness of heart and life. It's honesty, it's integrity, speaking the truth in love. It's love in action. And then you have righteousness, which is, of course, integrity. It's, it's virtue, it's the purity of life, correct thinking and feeling and acting. It means to be both two things, to to be right and to do right. And sometimes, as Christians, we can be a little heavy on one and light or missing on the other. We can give ourselves a false sense of security by not working out our salvation through living righteously, by thinking that just because I said a prayer and I believed in Jesus, I can live any way that I want. We call that license. That's cultural Christianity that we see so often in the world around us. And on the other side of the coin, there's a fallacy that stresses doing righteous works, but not being righteous, only looking good on the outside. A self-righteous legalism that keeps all of the law of God, but neglects the great, greatest of all the commandments. That's the law of love. Instead, being judgmental and fault-finding of everyone who doesn't measure up. In your eyes. So we're good. The fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Truth. As opposed, of course, to falsehood. As with righteousness, it's not simply something to be known. It's something to be done. Something to be. Truth is found in God's word. Truth will set a person free from sins and bondage. Truth will free you from the fear of death, judgment, and hell. Truth will set you free and to be saved completely to the uttermost. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So because you're walking and growing in Christ, you're experiencing the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth, you should now have a new desire to want to please the Lord. It's often said when you get up in the morning, and I know it's not, this, it's not like this every single morning, but we should have a question for the Lord. What would you have me do today? And we know he's telling us directly, we definitely don't want us to partner in sin and darkness. So instead, what, what should we do? Well, verse 10 says, we are to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. You know, these are, these are, our walk in our faith requires effort on our part. Finding out or proving, testing or examining what's acceptable to the Lord, what's well-pleasing. We are to adopt Jesus' standards and desires as though they were our own. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove it. Test it before him. Not to make yourself look good in front of others. You know, our character really is, as one writer said, character is what you are in the dark by yourself before the Lord. So he's referring to our need to examine our walk, the things we do in life, and asking simple questions. Are they pleasing and are they acceptable to the Lord? Now, do not partner or partake is a direct command. But how do we navigate our relationships? You know, the ones with those who are walking in disobedience. How about our friends and our coworkers? How about our family members? The ones we sit down at the holidays for meals together. How do we not partake in their sins? See, Christian, the Christian life is not meant to be isolationist, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But there's some simple things, four simple things we need to do. First of all is we need to set boundaries. You know, there's some places that you and I just cannot go, whether it's a particular movie or things that would cause you or others to stumble if you were to do that, if you were to join in in that. So we're to set boundaries. We're also to be humble, remembering where we came from. Jesus ate, he sat down and ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves he sat down and had fellowship with them. But he did not partake in their sin, nor did he encourage them. So we have our work cut out for us because we need to learn how to be salt and light. And the only way you're going to get that is to ask God to help you. So set boundaries, be humble, and always put God first. Do not deny him before men. You know, the safe place to be is in Christ and Jesus' name coming off your lips. As hard as that can be, it sets the standard as to what you believe and who you are. When you bring Jesus into this social conversation and this weird construct that we're in, that will change things because Jesus is light and it reminds people, whether they like it or not, that they may be living in darkness. So always put God first, set boundaries, be humble, but don't allow your past sin from keeping you from fulfilling your ministry in God. The ministry God has for you, we all have a past, but if you've given your life to the Lord, he's given you a ministry to participate in. Paul had a past, and he wrote in Philippians 3.13, he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do know, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Next, we are, we're exhorted by Paul not to participate in the deeds of those characterized by disobedience to God, rather to expose it. Verses 11 through 14 he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Now, this is another way of saying, fellowship is another way of saying, share together and be a partaker. 
In other words, joining in their sinful activities. Again, we have to learn how to navigate. Unfruitful behavior is a nice way of saying that what you're doing is, is worthless and useless. But instead, works of darkness. Now, we've already described those in, in the earlier section from last week. Works of darkness, he's referring to fornication, uncleanness, coarse jesting, foolish talk, covetous and idolatry, things like that. He says, but rather expose them. Expose them. By conviction, this means to reprove. The person that realizes that you're a Christian and realizes what you stand for, it's not about you standing there calling them a sinner or yelling at them on the street corner, shouting out with your big signs. No, it's about living your life as Christ. If you are the light, then they're going to be uncomfortable around you if that's the lifestyle they're living in. And you don't have to do it in a mean sense. You just need to be like Christ. Walk and speak the truth in love. So he says, don't participate in the deeds of those characterized, rather expose it. Well, how do you expose the unfruitful works? Well, notice in verse 12, is not how you expose the unfruitful works. He says, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. To be shameful means dishonorable. The things that they're done in secret. Now, even, you know, and we get in this habit as Christians, talking about the evil world that surrounds us and all the fallenness of this world. And it is distressing. And it is sad to see what's happening to our nation, which was founded on godly principles. And there are times to speak out. But we have to be careful that we don't just sit and grumble all about it and get all into the details of what it is. That never, that, you know, you notice if you, if you go so far and you start to analyze the sin of people, others, you don't ever, you come away feeling dirty. And said, he, he said it's shameful to even speak of these things. We must guard against getting too deep into the weeds, in other words, of the works of darkness. Even your research and, and your interest, if you're a pastor or a Bible teacher or whatever, can turn around and bite you and I with temptation. And we need to avoid the shock value of details. You know, one thing our Christian culture is, seems like it's famous for on occasion are these shock pastors who want to bring everything to the pulpit, just want to bring everything out and say everything that's going on. But they don't realize they're actually becoming part of the problem by going overboard and describing the evil works of our society. So it's shameful to talk about things in that way. How do we expose the unfruitful works of darkness? Not by isolation. Not by setting up your own little Christian community somewhere or staying just in your church where your only contact with the outside world is when you pass them in the street or on the highway. Yes, it's true that the longer you're a Christian, the more deeper relationships you will have with other believers. But the statistics are kind of scary because a lot of times when a person comes to Christ, you know, especially as an adult, within five or seven years, they have no friends that are not Christians. 
And there's a lot of reasons for that. But we live in a free society. Our freedoms have not been taken away from us yet. And we are responsible to speak out. We are responsible to be out. But not by isolation. Verse 13, it says, But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. In other words, wherever the light shines, it reveals what it is. This is when we, this is applied to, by us when we witness the gospel to our culture. When we witness the gospel. When we preach and declare the word of God. We hold fast to it even under pressure. This is how it works. This is how the light comes out. And when a person comes in contact with the gospel of Christ, it is because the light of Jesus has touched them. They start to see things they were once blind to. You see, you're the light. You're the light. But as long as a person stays in the darkness, their sinful ways will continue. We know that. They will continue because they hate the light and they refuse to go near it, but that doesn't take away our responsibility. We are to pray as we witness for these encounters. We are to pray that he will cause them to abandon their darkness and join you to become light in the Lord. As one writer puts it, light reveals God, light produces fruit, but light also exposes what is wrong. No surgeon would willingly operate in darkness unless he made a false move to take a life. How could an artist paint a true picture in darkness? The light reveals the truth and exposes the true character of things. This explains why the unsaved person stays clear of church and the Bible often. Verse 14, therefore he says, Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Now he's not quoting scripture. He's most likely quoting an early praise hymn or a, or, or a chorus that would have been familiar to the church culture at the time. He may be paraphrasing parts of Isaiah 6, 60, excuse me. But he says, awake you who sleep. Again, light awakens those who are sleeping in spiritual darkness or deadness. But this can also be true for professing believers, living too close to the darkness, participating in the works of darkness. He says, arise from the dead. This is a call to those who are in, living in a dead spiritual state, heading for physical death with no hope for eternity, or they're simply ignorant of what God has for them. So arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Romans 13, 11 through 12. This is a, a warning for anybody who hears this that's not a believer. It says, and do this, knowing that the time that is now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know, if you, have a, if you have a sin that nobody sees, it's so easy to have those sexual sins, that pornography on your phone when nobody can know about it. You know, you can try to erase all your, all your history, all your search history. 
You're not accountable to anybody. Take heed. Cast off the works of darkness. As we said, we're not to avoid contact with people. We have to learn how to navigate this world. If you avoid contact with people, how could you share the gospel? How could you possibly do it? How could your light shine before him? Here's some examples. When you take a stand against abortion and pray outside of an abortion clinic, the light shines, and we know that some will decide to keep their child just by presence, just by a Christian witness, a Christian presence. When you join other believers in a sidewalk prayer outside of a public school, which is recently happening up in Chesapeake, where there's going to be an after-school Satan club in the works, you shine the light. You are light. When you consistently display character and integrity on the job before your employers, before your co-workers and those you do business with, you are light. When you refuse to cave in to cultural pressure to celebrate and thereby promote ungodly sexuality and lifestyles, you are light. There are many examples. So the questions as we conclude are this. How well is God's light shining through the lamp of your life? How often is it accomplishing its purposes? Does your presence in this world make a difference in your home, in your school, or your occupation? Do you have a vibrant witness that draws people to your Savior? Or do you hide your light under a basket and save it just for church on Sunday? The Lord genuinely desires to use you and I. You see, we're his light. You are light. And if sin has dimmed his light in your life, then take time now to confess him and hide, excuse me, and seek his cleansing and his forgiveness. Stop hiding from him. Don't stop there. Ask him to rekindle that flame in your heart. Ask him to reignite so that your light can then shine more brilliantly and consistently than ever. Amen? Amen. Right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning, Lord, as we prepare to conclude our service and sing this last praise song together. I pray, Lord God, that it would be challenging not only to myself, to anyone who hears this message. Lord, if there's change that needs to be made in our lives, or if it's just a new understanding, Lord, a simple, fresh grasp of the wonderful plan of salvation as it unfolds in our lives, I pray you would work mightily now among us and through us. We thank you that you care for us. You love us enough to speak the truth in love to us through your word. Thank you, Lord, that you do not hide and that you will do, you will go to great lengths, Lord Jesus. You went to great lengths to come, to put down your heavenly garments and to come to this world as a baby, to be born, to be the light of the world, to shine on this dark place, to shine in our hearts. And you do that over and over and over again, through the generations, through the lives of countless people. 
Shine your light in our hearts this morning. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and worship together. Is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me. So take my heart and form me. Take my mind, transform me. Take my will, conform me to yours, to yours, O Lord. Righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness. Right is what you want from me. So take my heart and form me. Take my mind, transform me. Take my will, conform me. To yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O Lord. So take my heart and form me. Take my mind, transform me. Take my will. Conform me to yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.